1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organization, and innovation. I'm your co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. I'm here with my friend Nadia Butt, an organizational development and belonging strategist. Nadia, welcome to another week of Inclusive Collective. How you doing?
2: Another week, Rob. I'm well. How are you this just week? Just
1: pounding them out, just like just just really... like factory, you know? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> We are. You doing well?
2: Yeah, I'm doing okay. Traveling a bit, but I'm all right.
1: Yeah, that was good. That was what I was going to check on with you. How are you doing? How are you holding up this holiday season? Like, we're kind of fully in the grips. You're traveling. Mm-hmm. You're still working on your PhD. Yeah, working. How you doing? Right, the world's going to hell. Like, how, uh, how you weird. doing?
2: I think it's the world that's going to hell. <laughs> I'm. I mean, I'm not well. So, <laughs> but, so I just <laughs> have to laugh through it all. Um, I'm literally like in my brother's, you know, kind of like yeah. the, the guest room that has, as you can see, like diapers in the back yeah. and like was, just kind of making. I was wondering work. if those were towels.
1: I those are towels. Those are actual diapers. Those yeah. are
2: diapers. Those are diapers. Yeah, those are okay. diapers. Well, no. yeah. I like your I mean, background. Listen, yeah. I could have, people have it far worse than me.
1: Right.
2: Um, I feel really lucky and privileged to be able to travel to visit family, visit friends. My doctorate's suffering right now. <laughs> Because I'm not writing, on yeah. my, working on my dissertation. But um, it's it's been really good. You know, holidays is all about family, friends, loved ones. And December remi- reminds me of that. And so it has been nice to see. I saw a friend that I've been seeing since prior to the pandemic. Spent a lot of time with her. So it's been wonderful. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah,
1: yeah I was telling something the other day that I'm spread so thin that I'm, a, I'm disappointing everyone. So that... <laughs> It yes. it makes it so there's no discrimination, right? Like no yeah, one's, yeah. no one's happy with all me right one. now.
2: Yeah, all so, for one, one for all. So sure. that
1: makes, it gives me a little comfort. Well, let's spend a little joy today. What do we got? What do we got today, Nadia?
2: Well, this week on Inclusive Collective, we will be talking to Charlotte Young-Bowens, founder and CEO of Conscious Gear, about her unexpected journey from administrator to startup founder. We'll also highlight Johnson & Johnson's expansion of bereavement leave and about the social determinants of work. and later. We'll double rave.
1: Double rave. Let's do double rave today.
2: Uh, But first, let's get to the deep. So bereavement.
1: Bereavement. Yeah. Tell me about bereavement. What's going on?
2: So I saw this article in the Financial Post, and it was around a company's bereavement policy. And I just thought it was really interesting. So essentially, it was about um, the company J&J, Johnson & Johnson, and how one of their employees was seeking time to recover from the death of his son. Um, And the policy at the time had stated that bereavement for folks would be five days. Yep. So this employee then messaged senior management and his plea turned out to be a key factor in the decision to increase bereavement leave from five days, which is actually the average across corporate America. Yeah. To 30 days. Um, So let me pause there for your reaction.
1: Well yeah and I think that that's even probably high i mean I, I think that when i've been I've used bereavement in the past and I think my company's policies were like in the two to you know couple day range two to three day range, so I think it's actually probably improved a little bit. really cool story about employee listening right so there's a lot yes. of things like this that don't make sense from a human perspective in terms of mm-hmm. corporate policy, and employees don't raise them, we don't raise them because we don't think anyone will listen right and yeah. so this person. Yeah made a it it was like i need more than five days Uh, i think i think this 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 person's uh this person's uh spouse had had passed
2: well this person in the in the article knows his son oh his His son son. yeah his son
1: and said like yeah yeah, i i I require as a human being more than five days right and so uh johnson johnson to its credit listened and then the spokesman said they had overwhelmingly positive reaction from the rest of the company as well. And so, yep. um, you know, all of these policies, practices, they need to be looked at. There's real opportunities to tell your employees that you care about them as people, and, and in addition to the work that they do for you. So I mm-hmm. think J&J just really earned a lot of goodwill from this, um, you know, and then there was also a piece around expanding the notion of family as well, right, and uh, sure. to be more inclusive. Mm -hmm. And the definition of bereavement, right? So my my thoughts went to, you know, how do we think about miscarriage, right? Like is that covered? Is that covered for the father? So there's just a real ton of opportunities in these policies to to show people that you actually care about those people.
2: I love that. Yeah, this article. I mean, it didn't go into detail. It was worth a read. It was a quick read. What I will say though, I I I never actually thought about the bereavement for like if you have a miscarriage or for not just for the for the person experiencing, but also. Um, the, the, the spouse or the partner. Yeah. Um, so thank you for, you know, even including that, those folks, um, it, it, I looked at it from like a cultural perspective because when I had to take, um, bereavement, you know, depending on how you might observe, um, many Muslims take like three days. I think that's also in the Judaic religion. Mm -hmm. And then we, um, follow up with like a 40 day, um, and then a one year really to kind of honor, honor the 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 person that has passed, or even the people around um the supporting people that might need bereavement, but it's really interesting, so I think like I like you said, what I took away from it was the listening um from the employees and kind of their needs and what they're hoping to um kind of get out of the policy and how things have shifted, right? like when these policies are written, they're probably written decades ago, <laughs> and maybe <laughs> right. five days was like just enough um and so it it i think what i what i would encourage employers hr folks to be open to is listening to their employees if certain policies or practices are just not enough time particularly in the in the bereavement policy uh, place
1: for sure for sure yeah that's a great that's a that's a great example um and so and, and i think this next story also fits with this idea of just thinking about what employees need in order to do well and be and, and, in their role right to feel like they belong within inside a, a, an organization so this comes from hr dives dei newsletter this past week nadia do you, do you like the hr dive you, you... i like
2: i love the hr you Dive.
1: Great, great job i love the hr yeah. dive um the article details how companies are starting to think about the social determinants of work oh so similar to health how health care providers think through the social determinants of health the article profiles efforts aflac norwell health and the united way of cleveland Aflac, for example, focuses on five dimensions of employee wellness physical, emotional, financial, spiritual, and social, and then tries to align their programs and support in those areas throughout the employee life cycle and so um you know, what what did, what did you uh what did you enjoy from some yeah. of these companies' examples
2: um so the first thing was like it was really cool the framework that per- they that they provided um that aflac kind of used um because it reminded me i don't know if it reminded you of this but about a year ago we had we had shared the framework that the US Surgeon General created that centers like the work workers voice and equity and well-being mm. and it had also five elements that, that was worth um, that's worth folks looking into as well I thought that was really interesting but I did really enjoy reading this article because it brought to light how like the needs of employees are starting to shift right mm-hmm. similarly to what we just said earlier on with the bereavement policy like I think of my parents generations and that that's a generation that's like the baby boomers and the benefits that they were most concerned with involved like healthcare care security to um, so like things like medical, dental, life, you know, uh, vision, then life insurance and, of course, retirement security. And I think those are still things that um, folks are still seeking. But as time has progressed, I think the workforce needs have shifted and folks are seeking additional needs from their employers that address their well-being um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in and out of the workplace. Um, and it's interesting because earlier in my um, doctoral research, I had done some I had done some research on employee engagement outcomes. And the research really does correlate with productivity, mm-hmm. health outcomes, business growth impacts on absenteeism, yep. um, employee safety and, of course, employee turnover. So, you know, of course, there's like so many there's several studies out there that have found that um, an inter- actually a pause here because I want your reaction then I want to. I want to add something that I thought was interesting in some of the research that I'd done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's where I was going as well. Right. So there's uh, within these models of engagement. Right. So many of them, uh, you can, you can love your job, you can love your company, you can love your team, but if your social needs are not being met outside of work, then how much can you really engage? Right. You can't necessarily be the most, your most productive and effective self at work. And so um, and, of course the social determinants of work, like the social determinants of health, are disproportionately stacked against those in non-dominant groups as well. It was one of the things that I had thought about. Mm. Uh, so those, you know, and obviously dominant groups are white uh, men often, right? And in, in larger often. companies, so so yeah. Okay. So really smart companies are doing this, and then the article points out all of the returns that these companies get from taking this type of approach, and so it's just overwhelmingly positive in terms of the return that they're getting on the investment again in. Showing people that you're actually thinking of them outside of work as people.
2: Yeah. So I not I know that this is not like a prediction episode where we're um, predicting like next year, but I also just want folks to consider when we talk about well being, is that I there are several studies that um, where there, the the interesting variable is with manager, especially mm. those um, frontline facing managers where the most important factor in employee engagement and performance because they they best position um themselves to not only navigate like the the organizational changes that are occurring but they're closest to the day-to-day of the employee. They really do have better insight into an employee's overall well-being. Yep. And I so that's why I think that one of the of course manager mechanisms that we advocate for is to have those frequent and meaningful check-ins and feedback conversations. Um, Those are so critical to employee well-being. And so I I am curious as to uh, what next year reveals in terms of management, um, management kind of interactions with employees and how that will drive DENI as well as well-being in the workplace.
1: I I think that I think the plan for next year is to go all AI robots for managers, right? (laughs) Sure. I think that's I think that's where we're headed.
2: (laughs) Oh, but that won't
1: work, you're telling me? All
2: right. not, I mean, maybe. You never know.
1: All right. Well, all right. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, thanks for that, Nadia. That's it for the deets this week. We'll be right back with Charlotte Young-Bowens of Conscious Gear. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. Our guest today is Charlotte Young-Bowens. Charlotte is the founder of Conscious Gear and a trailblazing innovator behind the Vesta Pack the world's first plus-size hydration vest. She is a university administrator-turned-entrepreneur who was motivated by a personal health scare. Charlotte has made it her mission to use a design aesthetic that is centered on taller, curvier, and bigger bodies to create outerwear and outdoor gear with input from the consumer she hopes to serve. Charlotte's first product, the Vesta Pack, is the world's first ultralight hydration vest designed by and for bigger bodies in October 2023. USA Today nominated VestaPak as one of the top 10 Reader's Choice Award products. A longtime outdoor enthusiast and ultramarathoner from Ann Arbor, Michigan, she currently resides in Tempe, Arizona, where she works as an administrator at Arizona State University. And while it's true that she is totally committed to building her company, she does hope to get back to doing her real love of ultramarathons, triathlons, and other CrossFit events in the not-so-distant future. Charlotte young Bones, it's great to see you again. Welcome to Inclusive Collective.
3: Great to see you too, Rob. Thank you guys so much. First and foremost, thank you so much for inviting me and having me as part of your podcast community. I'm super excited to connect and share and learn. So thank you. Happy Friday, everybody. Oh, <laughs> happy Friday,
2: Charlotte. So great to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us on Inclusive Collective this, this week. Um, I want to hear about your background. I I'm always so um, really, like, thrilled to learn about people's backgrounds, their identity, and what led them to where they are. So tell us more about your background. What led you to Conscious Gear? And then tell us a little bit, too, around what led you to your first product, the
3: VestaPack. So I think in terms of my background, as mentioned, I was born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was a Girl Scout growing up and loved camping. Me, too. (laughs) In fact, my troop leader—I used to want to always go camping, and I would say, well, "How can we go on more camping trips?" And my troop leader was like, "Well, so you got to, to, to raise more money, which means you got to sell more cookies." <laughs> yeah. So for two years straight, I was—I uh, sold the most cookies in the state of Michigan. I don't know if my mother has forgiven me because our house, our garage, our basement, every room in the house was full of cookies. Um, but I sold, sold thousands, and um, because I wanted to go camping. Uh, but then after that, you know, I kind of, you grow out of Girl Scouts, you grow up, you have a life. Um, I was a single mom, I had three kids. Um, really kind of found myself just floundering, really in life, trying to figure out what I really wanted to do. In hindsight, I just feel like I just never did have the support that I needed, which culminated in me having a health scare. I landed in the emergency room. Um, doctors like, of time I left out, he's like, look, you got high blood pressure, high cholesterol, borderline diabetic. You're morbidly obese, and you're clinically depressed. And I think in many respects, that was a wake up call for me because I thought I, my depression had led me to think that I really wanted to die. But in that moment, I realized, no, that's not exactly what I want to do. And so um, it shook me. And I said, I got to do better. And I got to figure it out. And I tell people I did the only thing I knew to do, which was go to the gym, which I had never done in my whole entire life.
1: Uh,
3: I'm 46 at the time. 47 and um so that's the, that's just the way it was and mm-hmm. i tell people uh, i went to the gym and on that first day um, god sent me an angel um, this guy at the gym taught me how to use a treadmill and we discovered that i could go for two minutes at two miles per hour um and i think the blessing was when he said good job i'll come back tomorrow and do it again and I think in that non judgmental moment, first of all, just tell me I did a good job because I probably you nobody know, had told me mm-hmm. that in a long time. Uh, it mm-hmm. really sank into me. But as I walked out the door, he said, but just know you'll go faster and you'll, you'll go for longer. And for me, I was like two minutes at two miles per hour. I was in beast mode. I was like, ah, <laughs> like I had no
2: comparison <laughs> no point.
3: So like a good job. So I was like, okay, I'm doing it, you know? I remember when That's I go awesome. told everybody the next day that I did two minutes at two miles per hour, they were like, <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I mean,
3: like, it's a record. I love it. But, you know, I tell people I kept putting one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, the treadmill went, to, went from walking to running, to running outdoors, to trail running. I did a 5K, then a 10K. And at a 10K, this woman told me, she said, well, if you can do a 5K, you can do a 10K. To do a 10K, you can do a half marathon. Do a half marathon, you can do marathons." Now, why was I listening to her? I don't know. why. Once again, somebody's sinking something into me. And I was just discovered like 16 months later, I would be crossing the finish line on my first 50 mile ultra marathon. Something I had really never imagined myself doing ever. Um, So it was was a really powerful moment for me. And I tell people I remember that race distinctly because at the 48th mile marker, um, I knew I only had two miles to go. And I knew in that moment I could do those two miles. Like, I was really going to finish. This. And I cried like a baby as I thought about, I was 48 years old, about to finish my first 50-mile ultra-marathon, although 16 months early, I, was, I thought I was about to die. And so mm-hmm. um, I could be anywhere. You know what I mean? Anything could be going on for me. But in that moment, I was about to do something spectacular, something that was life-changing, something that I had never even thought i mean i I barely knew what i didn't even know what ultra marathon was four months before my first one so um and i said that was for white people and i definitely wasn't going to do that Uh, you know it's only white people do that real crazy (laughs) Uh, Uh, yeah real crazy stuff But there I was, uh, when you were saying, when you were talking about like the five, the five k to the ten k to that, I was like, that's right. crazy. Talking my mind, <laughs> I just feel like the universe was always giving me messages to say, mm, I'm gonna show you something. You know what I mean? Like, just know, um, we'll go for faster. You will go. Like that guy didn't know I would go for faster. He did not know. No, I would really go for longer. He didn't know I was gonna do an ultra marathon. He probably thought, oh, she'll get yeah. up to a couple miles. But you know, um, but what he seeded in me was something really spectacular. However, the journey was bittersweet because as much as I loved outdoors and doing all these endurance events, I struggled with outdoor gear, the stuff Mm -hmm. that I wore left chafing and rug ferns that was painful and sometimes bloody, but I wanted longevity and this. This was keeping me alive. I really loved it. And so I thought, so this was like 2014, 15, I thought, oh, um, the big brands will realize I'm out here and I need some gear. So I'm gonna give them mm-hmm. a minute. I'm gonna give them a minute. You know, yeah, so was, right, right. And it was during the pandemic that I realized, oh, that's like five years later. Like, y'all really not gonna give me no gear? Like, I'm not gonna do it. And yeah. so I was like, yeah. you know, maybe this is the moment where I get to do the work. Then, and I think it feels good to do the work because I I know that what that work means because I am my mm-hmm. own customer, right? And I love this work. And every time somebody put on my product, it just brings tears and joys to my me because i know i know that feeling. i know that feeling of being putting on a piece of gear that finally fits your body like what yeah especially when you're in a bigger body and you've been in the bigger body your whole entire life so that's what really led me and honestly i i said to myself "Oh God, it was so funny i said oh i'm gonna try this, but i'm not really like i, I just really didn't think nothing about it. <laughs> like i will try yeah, yeah. and I, I tell you just the universe really always conspires when you try right so I was part of working, I moved to Tempe, working at Arizona State University. They have an entrepreneurial program. I go pitch, mm-hmm. they give me ten thousand dollars. I was like, wow. You mean what? This?" <laughs> and I remember <laughs> when I called my name, and I was in the audience. The guy next to me was like, yeah. "Is that you?" <laughs> That's you. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that was me." Oh, so um, yeah. and then City of Tempe, as I mentioned earlier. Gave me $20,000, REI got in their Embark program, which came from another $10,000. And I just felt like, wow, I must be on to something. More than one person yeah. besides me agrees. <laughs> well, yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. Has, that,
1: has that continued, Charlotte? So I know that, you know, so you got those those grants that have gotten you started. Yeah. Now you're trying to, you know, you, you have products. Yeah. Uh, talk about the Vesta Pack they designed as well but now you're trying to scale, right? So now you continue yeah. to go meet with investors and just similar to the way that those companies maybe missed or, or, or weren't creating product for you know, your customers and yeah. you, how are investors now as you continue to go to try to raise money to scale? Is it, are they, do they get the concept? Are they understanding what, uh, what the need is?
3: I think in terms of dealing with investors, um, that has been one of my pain points. They don't get it. Uh, Mm. And what I'm realizing that we really do live in a society that's fat phobic. And so we, we don't really, we think this is my number, This is the number one thing people say to me in an investment meeting. And it makes me, I'm not a violent person, but it makes me want to be violent. But anyways, oh, <laughs> just kidding. Yes. Um, is there enough fat people out there? <laughs> to buy <this>? Oh, wow. <laughs> people have said that to after you. I've told them my story, like, really? You're going to ask me that question.
1: Right, right, So
3: I don't think they really get it. I don't think they see the potential for it to scale. Although the outdoor industry did come out with a report just this year that there is a plus-size outdoor gear and apparel market. Um, it's worth $2 billion. It's growing like bre- wow. breakneck speed of 47% between now and 2027. So what? What are you guys talking about? So I think what's going to happen is just a smaller brand are just going to have to be the trailblazers for the ones that are going to just have to do it. And then in 2030, they will all catch on. So... And that's cool. I mean, and I don't mind bootstrapping. Um, I feel like, you know, it needs nice health, but um, I'm cool with bootstrapping because I believe in this and I believe that, you know, God will always conspire to give me everything that I need to continue to grow, scale, be successful. So, yeah. yeah. So we're so you had
2: mentioned like there's a need for it. So you're, we're seeing folks that are plus size, bigger, kind of wanting to be outdoors or needing more products to help them, right. whether it's through fitness or just just, um, you know, being outdoors right. more. Are Is, is there um, is that the case for other kind of demographic groups? So when I kind of consider like my group of friends, brown and black folks don't necessarily prioritize going outdoors as much like I think that we are now definitely I have a hiking club (laughs) I want to say that we are outside but but I feel like growing up it was very rare for um, like my parents to be like let's go hiking like that just wasn't a thing do you feel like that landscape of representation including plus size and maybe other racial demographics is changing and how do you like how how do you think it's changed and what needs do you think those folks might need?
3: I definitely feel like the landscape is changing. More people of color are getting in the outdoors. But what I'm learning from the very first day when I said, oh, I'm making a hydration vest. The number one thing I had to do is educate. Did nobody know what a hydration vest was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like even just sure. 70% of the population don't know what it is. They're like, oh, is it that, mm. that Campbell back there? <laughs> <My butt>. Yeah. <laughs> I am a sort of. Hopefully y'all start calling it conscious your thing. But okay, we'll probably Campbell that yeah, for
1: now. Yeah, um
3: yeah. <laughs> but,
1: the Vesta pack. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Absolutely. Yeah, um,
3: <laughs> so yeah, I think things are changing. I think it's the education. It is I think what I when I think about people of color and other um, even different abilities, queer mm-hmm. folk, uh, differently abled um, being in these spaces, uh, the outdoor industry has, I can't do it alone, but the outdoor industry has to collectively come together and start welcoming people. Again, the research Mm -hmm. is bearing it out. Newcomers, diverse groups of people are coming to the outdoors and we're spending money. So they're going to have to wake up because we're your consumers and you know, we're not going to really deal with that for too long. And then we're not going to just not come. So um, I see things potentially changing. I don't know how fast other industries want to respond, um, but there's a lot of potential uh, to make money, but also just provide people with what they need. I always tell people, you know, look, I was weighing almost 400 pounds and I always use this phrase. I got off my fat ass and I decided to change my life. Why mm-hmm. should gear interfere with me being able to reach my goals and be able to be physically active and be able to do the things that I want to do it's not fair mm-hmm. you know um, it's not
1: so I know that you know you've created this product that I'm you know specifically talking about the best pack building that product you know very intentionally designing it for bigger bodied folks and I, you could talk about some of the steps that you've taken to make sure that you're building something that that works for your intended audience yeah. uh, and your intended customer. But also, have others responded in ways that you didn't anticipate? Have others said, ah, that, that's an interesting product for me in ways that you, that you maybe didn't anticipate? At the oh,
3: yeah. Oh, my God. So many ways. Um, uh-huh. This is the way I'll explain it. When I first started making this product, I thought, oh, I'm just making it for my fellow fat trail runners. Right? Okay. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I talked about the product, I was seeing that there are so many other case uses For this product. Mm. For instance, my son's a gamer. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't, I said, I don't make these for gamers. (laughs) (laughs) But then he's my kid. So I was like, okay, if you want one, one." I'll make you one. And then he showed it to his friends and his friends are like, yeah, we've won too. And I was like, what? Um, and then just people with limited mobility, seeing this for walking groups. Absolutely. (laughs) Like, what? I think the outdoor industry has really streamline its narrative around what these products can do for people but it really is can be used for a little bit of any and everybody you know people wear this mm-hmm. when they go gardening people wear this when they go to festivals people wear this when they go on cruise ships people you know people coming to me and say oh I did you know I went skiing with this or one of mm-hmm. the other demographics that's coming to the fore and they're the ones that are spending the most money with the brand is just just bulky men they're not fat yes. per se mm-hmm. or Plus size Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're just muscular and none of the other stuff that the brands are making fit them and Uh so all of a sudden Pack does you know and so that's been a nice surprise to discover wow okay i'm meeting the needs of another segment of society so i think as a result of that you know we are pivoting to say wearable hydration for the masses right because this can't mm-hmm. just be for outdoorsy people. Every time people, say that like, oh, is this is for mm-hmm. hiking. I'm like, no, girls, this is for... You go, you go work out at the gym, you wherever you go walking. Like, I don't want people to... That narrative, like I got to strip away at that narrative so people can see, oh, this is for mm-hmm. me too.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I love that there's like this focus, of course, on inclusivity and then, of course, accessibility, That's which is so great. You You had mentioned that you really didn't expect yourself to be an entrepreneur or a founder of this company. I'm curious, like, what have you loved about this journey that you've been on? What, like what has surprised you thus far about yourself? I
3: think everything. is me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I think, so this is what happens. Like I'm on this journey, right? I don't know nothing about nothing, And then at every, we'll just call it milestone. Um, I'm discovering something new about myself. And what I get to say to myself is, this is just mile twenty-seven of the fifty-mile ultimate. Like, remember what it felt like at mile twenty-seven. Remember what it felt like at mile Mm. thirty-five. Remember, you know what I mean? Like, and I have to remind. It it always tells me, you got through, you know, your fifty-mile race, then you can get through this entrepreneurial race. It's the same dynamics. You have the same capacity to do the things that you need to do to get to the finish line. And so that's what Mm. I, I, I. Ooh, I love that. I love that I get to always look back on that, on my ultra and my yeah. motivation.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte Young Bowens. It's great to see you again. We wish you the best in your journey and, uh, and, and come back and see us here yes, on Inclusive Charlotte, Collective.
0: Come back and this see us. This has been too short. Thank you so this has been too short. Yeah.
1: All right. We'll be right back with more Inclusive Collective right after this.
2: Welcome back, folks. We just wrapped our conversation with Charlotte Young Bowens. Rob, what a wonderful and inspiring story! I feel like Charlotte had so much to share of her personal journey. I particularly was inspired. Um, what about you? What, yeah, there's no, so many, the so many
1: nuggets, so many ni- little things that I thought there was. Uh, I thought there was just almost like a manual for for founders in terms of uh, a lot of great a lot of great little little tips and tricks there
2: yeah i wish we had asked her what her favorite trail in state and out of state was so we'll have to bring her back on and ask her that
1: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i'm hoping to hang out with her here and i'm hoping maybe she'll take me on a on a hike or a run in utah at some point
2: (laughs) yeah that would crush you i think (laughs) yeah
1: I, there's no way that i could keep up with it there's a zero zero percent chance at this point yeah. so yeah
2: ultra marathoner yeah yeah well all right i think it's that time now here for raves and rants and it, i think we're double raving today right we're like
1: almost triple raving so yeah, yeah. Go, why don't you get us started start,
2: yeah so the good people of ireland will vote next early next year mm-hmm. to decide whether sexist language in the irish constitution should be removed so i read this article in political i thought it was interesting um one section in the constitution um in question argues that women should be in the home for the good of the country um so an am- an amendment would uh place value of course on all family caregivers so i thought that was kind of interesting so, yeah. so there's a vote for that on march 8th and we'll follow up when that happens
1: <laughs> yeah hopefully <laughs> hopefully it that goes the right way um all right excellent uh, cuz uh, if and- it
2: doesn't it's a rant
1: <laughs> <but> yeah that <it laughs> <did>. yeah <laughs> yeah i can't imagine but you never know right so yeah, um yeah. all right so and then i also wanted to call attention to our inclusive collective gift guide our newsletter so uh be sure to check that out lots of great uh you know we we we, we highlighted some of the guests that we've had including charlotte young bones we just talked to uh we just we highlighted before even having her on the program we had highlighted uh that as a potential gift for the holiday season and then also other gift guides uh, for uh, folks that uh, are, are minoritized in, in some way as well uh, and, and entrepreneurs um, from, from various backgrounds as well. So check that out. And then, you know, the last thing is we are I, I looked up to and, and I guess we're I hadn't even realized Indeed. it, but we're we're in the, the throes of the holiday season and some of us are actually in their holiday. And so uh, happy Hanukkah to our, our friends that are celebrating right now as well. And uh, yeah, and, and I hope you have a, a joyous time of year.
2: That's great. Yeah. Happy Hanukkah to those observing and celebrating. Well, folks, that's it for Inclusive Collective. We thank Charlotte uh, for joining us this week. Just a reminder that if you're looking for de and Workplace Culture Strategy Consulting, problem-solving, or training, you can reach out to me at Nadia at com and Rob at Rob at Consulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media and edited by Ari Maffei. We would love to hear from you folks, so please send us your feedback at InclusiveCollective at com. Please follow us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Please be sure to subscribe to our Inclusive Collective newsletter, especially this past one, like Rob said, was really cool with some tips. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate. We love five stars. Thanks again. And folks, we'll see you next week. Be well.
1: Bye, Nadia. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me